Welcome to a special summer edition of the Untold Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. This is a bonus episode supplementing the speculative goodness we bring to you month after month. As always, this bonus episode is the audio from a first-person sermon I preached recently at the Orchard Church in Traverse City, Michigan, and it's based on Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1 and going through verse 20. I decided to preach this message right after our Vacation Bible School outreach. I'd spent the entire week playing the Apostle Paul to the kids. I did the sort of things Paul did. I prayed, I wrote letters, I told people about Jesus, and I handed out candy. Apparently, the Apostle Paul loved his candy. So I decided that the Celebration Sunday would be a good idea to preach a message about Saul of Tarsus' conversion. This would be great, right? Fun for the whole family. What could possibly go wrong? I'll meet you after the message for some choice comments, but until then, the Untold Podcast presents Not So Good, Not So Bad by Nathan James Norman. My name is Paul, the Apostle, the one who has gone to the Gentiles and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to them and for all peoples. But Paul's my Roman name. Paul is the Roman name, the, my general name. A long time ago, I preferred my Aramaic name, Saul. Many of you are here right now and think that you stand sure. You are confident in your good deeds. But if any of you have any reason to be confident in your good deeds, I have more. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, born an Israelite, born to the tribe of Benjamin. As far as the law, I was a Pharisee. As far as zeal, I persecuted the church. As far as righteousness goes, according to the law, I was blameless. I was back then, as I am still today, a man of zeal. A man of passion. Because if you're not passionate about what you believe, you don't really believe it. Let me ask you a question. What do you do if you have an enemy? What do you do? When you have an enemy, you smash it. You obliterate it. You don't allow it to influence you, your culture, your family, and to spread. You grind it into the dust, you stomp it into the ground, and you wipe it out before it can take root. You don't allow an armed man to come into your house. You don't allow the politicians to go unchecked. You don't allow the courts to do whatever they want to do. No. When you have an enemy, you take care of it. You smash it, you pound it, you grind it into dust, into oblivion and so it can't take root and stop and spread. You stop it in its tracks. When I was much younger than I am now, I hated Jesus of Nazareth. He 
was a false messiah. I rejoice. I hated. I hated how he ridiculed our holy men and told us to pay taxes to the Roman Empire. And how he blasphemed God by saying that he was the Son of God. In fact, I rejoice when they crucified him like the dog he was. And I laughed. I laughed when his disciples invented a story about him resurrecting from the dead. But even after he died, the poison, the lies spread. And disciples, followers of this dead Messiah, were springing up all over Jerusalem. Men and women were coming and and starting to become these disciples of Jesus every day. What do you do when you have an enemy? You stomp it out. And so, when one of Jesus' followers, Stephen, stood before the Sanhedrin, and he blasphemed God and ridiculed our holy men, when the mob came and dragged him through the streets and threw him outside of Jerusalem and had him stoned, even though my mentor, the Rabbi Gamaliel, advised against it, I approved of stoning him to death. Even though the Roman Empire forbid us to carry out capital punishment, I still approved it. Because these followers of Jesus were more dangerous than the Roman Empire. What do you do when you have an enemy? You stomp it out. And it worked. It worked. It worked. The so-called followers of Jesus, the way, the church fled from Jerusalem. They ran. They ran. They all ran and I rejoiced. But as these liars and fanatics ran from Jerusalem, they took their lies to the other towns and the other cities and began making disciples and followers of this dead Messiah in those cities. I was infuriated. I was infuriated. And so one night while the Sanhedrin was meeting, I waited outside and as soon as they were done, I met the high priest Caiaphas. And he knew who I was. He knew my name. He knew who I was. Me, Saul. And he, like I, knew that we needed to stop this movement. So, he gave me permission and wrote up papers papers for me to go to a town 130 miles north of us called Damascus. It was filled with synagogues. And so many of my fellow Jews were becoming followers of Jesus. 
And he gave me permission to go with, into Damascus with men at my side and to march into any synagogue I wanted to and to find these disciples of Jesus and have them arrested and thrown into the deepest, darkest dungeon in Jerusalem we could find. I left at once. I left at once and we traveled that long three-day walk up to Damascus with men who shared my conviction, although maybe not my zeal. As we went, I fumed. I was furious about these liars and these fanatics. And even though the road was busy, I was loud about my hatred for them. And how I wanted to take these Christians and once we brought them back down to Jerusalem, have them thrown into a dungeon, not so that they could somehow change, but that so they could die there. One of my friends, Simon, asked me to be quiet while we were passing a group of Roman centurions. But I spoke all the louder. I spoke all the louder. Because it was because of Fanatics and liars like this, why Israel was still in captivity to the Roman Empire and God hadn't delivered us from Rome's occupation. I fumed. I was furious. As we walked and neared the city of Damascus, all of a sudden a light appeared in the heavens. And it surrounded us and it blazed. And I couldn't see anything. It was so bright and I tried to block it with my hands. And, and even, even with my hands right in front of my face, I still couldn't see it. I couldn't even see my hands because the light was so great. And one of the men who was with us screamed, It's the glory of Adonai! And I fell to the ground. And then a voice, a loud, strong, confident voice, filled all of creation and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I tried to look to see who was speaking, but the light was so bright I could see no one. And so, with trembling and shaking hands, I looked up and shouted back, Who are you, Lord? And then that voice, that strong, confident, terrifying voice spoke again. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He wasn't dead. He was alive. In that moment, I was beyond terror. I was nothing. In the light of His glory, my soul was shred to pieces. And I was his enemy. What do you do with an enemy? 
I was certain He was going to grind me to dust. But instead, Jesus said to me, get up. Go into town. There you will find what you must do. I laid on the ground for the longest of times. And when I finally opened my eyes, the light was gone. There was only darkness. I had persecuted Jesus' followers. I had persecuted Him. And He blinded me. He took away my sight. The others who were with me had heard something and they had experienced something, but Jesus' words were only for me. And so in my blindness, my friend Simon took me by the hand like a handicapped little child and led me into Damascus, into the home of one of his friends, Judah, and left me there, unsure of what to do. For three days, I stayed in that house, blind, for three days, they told me that there was nothing wrong with my eyes. They looked normal, but I couldn't see. For three days, I didn't eat or drink anything. For three days, I did not respond, utter a word, or utter a single sound to anyone. I was wrong. I was wrong. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. How could I have been so wrong? For three days as I stayed there, and, and I, I pondered what had happened, I realized that I had been more interested in following the ways of men to raise my own stature instead of following God. For three days, I realized how could I have been so wrong? The Torah pointed to Jesus, the prophets pointed to Jesus. And I had missed it. Sleep didn't come easy to me, but when sleep did come to me, they were filled with visions. They weren't good visions. I saw myself being scourged by my own people. I saw myself being beaten with rods by the Romans. I saw myself shipwrecked. And in another vision, I saw myself being bitten by a deadly viper. I saw myself adrift in the open sea. No ship around. I saw myself being stoned and left for dead. What do you do with an enemy? I was Jesus' enemy. And he was going to use me as his example and torture me over 
and over and over again. I had another vision. I had another vision that a man named Ananias would come and heal my vision. (laughs) Great. Now I would see the horror and see the torture. At the end of the third day, this man, Ananias, came to the house where I was staying, and as I sat there blind on the floor, Ananias told me that the Lord had appeared to him in a vision and had told him to come here. But he told me, Saul of Tarsus, I know who you are. I know that you have come to imprison all the followers of Jesus. I told the Master I did not want to come. And as I sat there in my blindness, I told this man, Ananias, I said, I was wrong. You are right. I deserve whatever judgment comes next. Then Ananias bent down and he placed his hands over my eyes. And as he stooped down, he said to me, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who you saw while traveling on the road sent me so that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Something like scales fell off my eyes and I could see And as I sat there in my grief, I could feel the Spirit of God fill my soul. And He comforted me. The Holy Spirit comforted me. And even though I didn't deserve it, I knew that I was forgiven. And that Jesus loved me and embraced me and held me and called me His own. And from that moment forward, I knew that I could never be so good that I didn't need Jesus. And I could never be so bad that He wouldn't welcome me back and love me and hold me and embrace me. I I stood up and Ananias told me, Saul, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus also said He's going to use you as His chosen instrument to bring the Gospel to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the Israelites. And I realized Jesus wasn't going to torture me He wasn't punishing me. But those things that I saw in the vision, those things that I saw in the vision is what I was going to suffer at the hands of those who wanted to stop the truth. And it was worth it. It would all be worth it.
As I looked at my new brother in the eyes, I insisted on being baptized immediately. I wanted to be known as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. And so with a small group of people and believers around us, men and women, I was baptized. For the next few days, I spent time with with my fellow believers and I shared with them about how Jesus had changed me and how the Holy Spirit had filled me with confidence and comfort that yes, I am a child of God and I'm no longer His enemy. We we spent a few days there and and then after that, I went into the synagogues. The very synagogues I had intended to drag away every Jesus follower I could find. And I went into the synagogues and I proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God. And so now I I go by the name Paul. I use my common name because God doesn't just love Israel, although He loves them dearly, but He loves the whole world. even an enemy like me. I wasn't the last enemy of Jesus. I faced many of them in my travels. And they persist to this very day, to this very moment, in your very lives, right now, even in this moment. What should you do when enemies of the Gospel attack us? What should we do when enemies of the Gospel attack us? When enemies of the Gospel attack us, we should stand firm knowing that Jesus uses His enemies to further the Gospel. Whether He converts them like He did me, or He transforms their evil deeds and He uses their wicked schemes for His greater glory so the Gospel can be heard by even more people. Jesus uses His enemies to further the Gospel. There is nothing that can stop the Gospel. There is nothing. Not the highest court. Not the mightiest government. No actor. No celebrity. No lawyer. No philosopher. No author. No law. Not one man. Not a million men. Nothing can stop the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. 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 Stand firm in the Gospel. Stand firm. Jesus uses his enemies, to further the good news. It wasn't until I had already spent at least 20 hours preparing the sermon that I realized how dark it was. The text didn't go where I had expected it to go, and I thought it was too intense for the little kiddos, but it was too late. We had already shut down the children's church for the week, so I had no choice but to preach the message. And I'm glad I did. Even after I preached the message, I felt like I had traumatized the kids. It wasn't until the next week that one of the aunts of our kids told me that she didn't like the message because she thought it was too much. But then she took her niece home. And the niece proceeded to tell the story 
almost verbatim to her family. Don't underestimate the power of story, folks, and never underestimate the power of the biblical story. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us in a few weeks for a new speculative story along with some exciting news about the Untold Podcast. And please remember, it's Saul of Tarsus, not Saul of Tardis. The Apostle Paul was never a Time Lord nor associated with the Doctor. Before we sign off, let me leave you with my favorite line from the story. There is nothing, not the highest court, not the mightiest government, no celebrity, no philosopher, no author, no law, not one single man nor millions of men who can stop the gospel. No, not one, not one.